So today is a big day in the life of our church, right? Pretty special. We're going to walk out the doors. We're going to say vows to one another as a congregation. We're going to commit ourselves to loving and caring for one another. We're going to baptize Ryan. If you're a guest or if you've been coming for a while and you don't know what that means, don't worry. We'll explain it as we go. But for now, we're going to return to our study in the book of Ruth. Okay, Ruth is a book that begins how? Begins in tragedy and sorrow, right? Hard things. There's a famine in the land, and a man named Elimelech takes his wife and his two sons to sojourn in a country called Moab. That's right. They go to a land that is forbidden for God's people, right? They leave God's people, they leave God's presence, they leave God's place. They go to a land and a people that are forbidden, the land of Moab. The Moabites, we know they're bad news, right? They're descendants of Lot by Lot's daughter, right? So they're people born of incest. They worship a demon god named Kamash. It's all kinds of bad stuff that happens in Moab. The Moabites were wicked when the people of Israel came to reclaim the promised land. They had needs. And instead of helping them, they tried to curse them. They tried to use uh, their women, their temple prostitutes, to seduce the people of Israel. Bad people. God forbid Israel to have anything to do with them. Okay? But times were desperate. So on the one hand, we said, well, we're kind of hesitant to judge Elimelech for going to sojourn in Moab, right? Because he had to provide for his family. They're trying to survive. We've seen similar stories in the Bible before where God blesses his people as they sojourn in times of famine. And we don't like pat answers because we know sometimes God just visits hardship because he chooses to. His ways are not our ways, right? Not every tragic thing that happens has a direct link to some kind of sin. That's like the whole lesson of the book of Job. There's more in Job, but that's a big lesson, right? Everybody wants to look at Job and say, Job, what did you do wrong? And the answer is actually nothing. Then that's the real answer. Sometimes bad things happen because bad things happen. God has his own reasons, and we don't always see them when they happen. On the other hand, when it comes to Elimelech and his family, it does look like God is judging them, doesn't it? So we talked about that too. They leave Bethlehem because they don't want to die, but that's exactly what happens to them. Elimelech dies. Malon and Kilion take Moabite wives, which is absolutely forbidden. Those wives then are barren for 10 years. Barrenness in Scripture is a curse of God. Sometimes barrenness happens, right? Sometimes it's on purpose. God curses um, McCall's womb, David's wife, okay? All these things just kind of stack up. Elimelech dies, they take Moabite wives, they're barren for 10 years, and then they die, Malon and Kilian. And then the women are left behind with nothing. No provision, no protection, no plan, nothing. Alone and vulnerable. And so Naomi, Elimelech's 
wife, now widow, with her back to the wall, hears that God has visited his people and has given them food, and so she decides she's going to set her face to go back to God's people. She returns to God and to God's people, back to Bethlehem. Now she has two daughters-in-law that are left over, and they're Moabites. She says, go back to your people. You don't have to come with, to come with me is, is a death sentence. There's nothing for you. I've, I can't provide for you. I can't take care of you. I, I'm not going to get married again and have kids. Nobody's going to want you. If you come with me, we may die. We may not make it. And certainly your life is not going to be what it could be. Go back to your families. So one does. Her name's Orpah. She goes back to her mother and father's house. She goes back to worship her false god. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Ruth is going to go where Naomi goes. She's going to stay where Naomi stays. Naomi's people will be her people. Naomi's God will be her God. She will die and be buried with Naomi's people. And she invokes a curse on herself in the name of the God of Israel if she doesn't follow through with that plan. She makes a covenant with Naomi and with God. And that is the beginning of God's favor returning to Naomi. God has given Naomi a daughter-in-law that trusts in the Lord and is willing to sacrifice herself for Naomi. So Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem and Naomi changes her name to Mara. Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter because the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. And they arrive in Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. Now that brings us to where we are today. We're going to read a really long passage of scripture together, all of Ruth chapter two, okay? So hang with me as we do. Don't zone out. Every word is God's word. It's eternally true. Every word that means is profitable for us. Every word is worth paying attention to, okay? But it's a big part of the story. Right, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Well, that's new, right? Okay. That's some hope. We say that at the outset, going into this story, because this is like turning point, right? Now, Now, there was a man named Boaz, and he was family. Uh, Ruth and Naomi don't know anything about this necessarily yet. Naomi knows who Boaz is. She doesn't know that he's going to enter the story. But God does. God's telling us. Okay? And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, in case you missed it the first time. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Get it? Moab from Moabites. Or Moabite from Moab. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the, the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you give us all tender and humble hearts. Pray that you would teach us, instruct us, encourage us, convict us. Help us to see our sin in new ways we've never seen it. Help us to face our sin with faith. Help us to walk in newness of life together by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, back to the top. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Okay, it's a setup, right? It's an announcement. Things are shifting. First off, we need to understand what's happening in the passage, though. So I have a question. What in the world is gleaning? What's gleaning? What is Ruth proposing to do? God had made provision in his law for the poor. 
But it's very different than how we think of provision or charity for the poor. He instituted something that are known as gleaning laws. Okay? So I'm going to read a couple passages from Leviticus and Deuteronomy that, that, where God puts this into place. Okay? I want us to understand this because it's important to understand everything about this whole passage. I know that a lot of Ruth is a lot of context and a lot of pushing us into like, oh, we need some history, we need some knowledge of the law, some other things like that. But hang with me, okay? In Leviticus chapter 19, God says this to his people as they come into the promised land, okay? When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Again in Leviticus 23, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And then in Deuteronomy 24, when you reap your harvest in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. God built generosity and provision for the poor and the widow and the fatherless and the stranger, the sojourner, into his law. He wanted his people to remember where they came from and to be humble and to be as generous with the stranger as God had been with them and as they wished they would have had when they were slaves in Egypt. So he instituted these laws. You don't go up to the edge of your fields. You're not scrupulous to get every grain and every grape and every olive. If you drop it, it's fine. Leave it. It'll be for the widow, for the orphan, for the fatherless, for the hungry. Gleaning laws provided charity for the poor without giving a handout. You see? It makes it a self-selecting sort of charity. You still had to work, right? Don't, don't be scrupulous. Don't go to the edge and don't double back. Leave some. And the deserving poor who are hungry and are willing to work will come and they'll gather. And you will provide for them without robbing them of their dignity. They'll have an opportunity to work and feel like they've done something to earn the bread that they have. And you will have been generous and cared for them. It's kind of beautiful, right? Okay, so Ruth says, I'm going to go glean. Ruth and Naomi don't have anything. They're poor. The land is gone. They have nothing. They have no harvest. They don't have seed. They don't have anything, right? Like, and it's harvest time anyway. They're going to go glean. Ruth says, I'm going to go see what happens. And something happens. Let's talk about that word happens too. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, 
who is of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, that word happened um, is sort of dulled in our translation. Okay, it's like uh, uh, Nathan says with some jokes, he likes to put a hat on a hat. Okay, the, the Hebrew is something like, it happened to happen. A happenstance happened to happen. By chance, it just so happened that, right, there's a little bit of a wink here. It just so happened that she came to Boaz as part of the field. And Boaz, I think we've said before, is of the clan of Elimelech. We said that like three or four times, right? Okay, that matters. Okay, when the Bible repeats things like that, it's underlining it for us. It wants us to pay attention. Pay attention. There's repetition. Pay attention. Okay? All right, we'll get to why that's important later, but now we have to ask a question. And the question is, does anything ever just happen? Does anything ever just happen? Is anything ever just by chance? From our perspective, yeah, right? From the way we see things, yeah. Things just happen. All kinds of things. We can't explain them. We don't see why they matter. We can't divine some purpose behind them, right? Some things just sort of seem to happen from our perspective. But nothing just happens. Not in God's universe. God is sovereign over all things that happen. Sometimes we can see and understand directly what God's doing, right? God performs a miracle. We see God's hand at work. The Red Sea didn't just happen to part. God did that. Everybody sees it. Everybody can acknowledge it, right? Nobody's looking at the Red Sea and saying, well, I wonder how, by natural processes, the waves are just sort of standing on either side and there's dry land in the middle of the, like, right? God's in control. Healing of the sick, the raising of the dead. Okay, that's one way God intervenes. There are all kinds of things that God does that we can't see. God's providence, his guiding hand behind the scenes. That's why we pray, because God's in control. We'd like him to act. But God's purpose is in providence, how things unfold are often hidden to us, even as he guides us to good ends, right? Right now, we're in the middle of this story. We can't see, or we can see, maybe, where things are going, right? The narrator, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, hey, there's a guy named Boaz. They haven't met him yet, but we just want you to know Boaz is coming, okay? We see where things are headed. Ruth? Naomi? Boaz, they had no idea. They had no idea. Naomi knew that her husband and her sons were dead. That's what she knew. She knew she had nothing in the world except for a daughter-in-law who was loyal to death. Ruth knew her husband was dead. She had a needy, bitter mother-in-law that she had left her mother and father behind, that she had left her native country behind, and that she had a God she could trust. And that they were hungry and they needed food. That's what she knew. She, had, she knew that they were hungry and she needed to do something about it. Boaz knew that it's harvest time. I better go check my fields today. See how people are doing. You had no idea what was going to happen. Our lives are like that too, right? We're in the middle of the story. We don't see how it ends. 
we know ultimately how it ends. We get to be with Jesus forever and all things are made right. We don't know the twists and the turns that lie in front of us. Only God does. The good and the bad, right? Now you think back to what your life was like two or three years ago. Put yourself there for a minute. Some of you weren't married yet. Now you have kids. There's so little that we saw coming two years ago. We're so small. But we're not insignificant. A Moabite widow says to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go with you. Today I'm going to glean in the fields. Don't know where I'm going to go. Hopefully somebody will find favor. And the whole course of human history is changed because of that little thing. The whole course of human history is changed. She had no idea, but God did. God orders and causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. All things. He is in control. And that's good because we're not. We can trust the one who is, and we can trust that our lives matter to him. We can't always see the why. We can't see where things are headed. We just know the one who does. If we knew, would we change things? If Naomi knew, would she have convinced Elimelech not to go? But then Ruth and Boaz and David, we can't ask those questions, can we? We can only put our hands over our mouths and give glory to God. Today we're celebrating a baptism. Ryan is joining our church with his wife Gretchen and his niece Cynthia and 40-some others of us. And some of us, as we celebrate, are also mourning the fact that Cynthia's dad and Gretchen's brother and Ryan's brother-in-law, who worked and prayed for this day, isn't going to be here celebrating with us. I imagine days like this, and I never imagined them like this. This is how it had to be. This is the story God's telling. Out of ashes, beauty. Out of death, life. Out of tragedy, glory. And this is only one part of what God is doing. We can't see why. Piece of the puzzle. A glimpse at God's ways. God's ways are still not our ways. Yet God gives us stories like Ruth's and Naomi's to give us hope when things are dark, to teach us patience and trust in the midst of pain, in the midst of the darkness of our lives. It doesn't matter how dark things have been. Dawn always comes. God is always good. Patience, faith, hope. The sufferings of this present life are nothing to be compared to the glory to be revealed to us. Okay, should we get a glimpse at Ruth and Boaz? Naomi's fortunes start to turn when she sets her face to go back to Israel, right? She gets Ruth. When Ruth decides to go gleaning, things start to turn. Because Ruth happens, happens in God's kindness into the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a worthy man. We've gone from dire circumstances for Ruth and Naomi to, right, like it's hopeless. Suddenly, we find ourselves in a will-they-won't-they romance. That's where we're at. On a dime, Ruth goes out into the field. The reason it's pointed out twice that Boaz is related to Elimelech, Boaz is positioned, if not quite perfectly, he's positioned to save the day. 
He's one of the people in Naomi's larger family that is responsible for the family as a redeemer. We'll get to that later. For now, I just want us to see what they see. Boaz shows up. He's going to check on the harvesters, on the reapers, right? He greets them in the name of the Lord because Boaz is a godly man. That's in scripture for a reason. How many of your bosses greet you when you come into work with the Lord be with you? Anybody? And then all the workers are like, and also with you. Or whatever they say, the Lord bless you. This man is a leader and he's godly and he maintains a work environment that honors the Lord and not everybody does. This is like the Wild West. Remember, this is the time of judges. But Boaz is a man and he's a man who honors the Lord. Boaz runs his enterprise as a godly man. So he shows up, he's a leader, he's paying attention to who's out in the fields, he notices a woman, doesn't know who that woman is. He asks the foreman, who's that? Who's out there in the fields? He says, it's that Moabite, you know, the one that came with Naomi. She asked to glean. She's been out there working since the day started, and she has not stopped all day, except for one short rest. Now pay attention to what Boaz does. And now Boaz knows who she is. Boaz stops her. He goes to Ruth and he says this, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Can you imagine Think about Ruth for a minute. Who is Ruth? The answer is nobody. She is a nobody. She's a Moabite. She's from the wrong family. Her her family is a bunch of demon God-worshipping pagans descended from father-daughter incest. You understand this? She's a nobody. Or maybe worse than. Wrong class, wrong ethnicity, wrong everything. Everything is against Naomi. She's not a virgin. She's been married. She was barren for 10 years. She may not be able to have kids. She's poor. She's vulnerable. She's young. Realize how risky it was for her to go into the fields to glean? Not everyone respected the gleaning laws. Not everybody ran things like Boaz did. Who was going to stand up for Ruth if something happened? Who was going to care? She doesn't have full protection of the law. She's not a Jew. She has no family around to speak of. They're in her native country. Nobody's going to avenge her. No one's going to protect her. She's vulnerable in every possible way. She's committed. She's going to get food for Naomi. She's going to take that risk on herself. Boaz sees. When Boaz realizes who that is and how vulnerable she is, He's got two options, take advantage of her vulnerability or step in. He steps in. Listen, my daughter. He owns her right away, my daughter. He elevates her. He treats her with dignity and respect. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else. You don't know what may happen to you. You stay here. You stay close to my young women. You stay with me. You stay close to us. You're one of us now. 
You're one of my women. Don't be afraid of the young men. They won't hurt you. I've talked to them. Anyone who touches you has to deal with me. When you're thirsty, you drink from my well. You don't even draw your own water. That's what young men are for. You understand why Ruth falls on her face, right? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz has an answer. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know how hard it must have been. I know what you've sacrificed. And God bless you. And Ruth is comforted. Nobody so far in the story has even bothered that we've seen to care about Ruth. It's all been about Naomi so far, right? Like the foreman doesn't even call her by her name. She's the Moabite who came with Naomi. Right? It's all Naomi. The people, when uh, they show up, they don't say, is this Naomi? And who's the woman? They just say, is this Naomi? Like, but Ruth is comforted. Boaz knows the whole story. Then Boaz takes things even farther. At mealtime, he invites Ruth to the table. He has her sit down and he feeds her until she's full and makes sure she has enough left over to take home. And when she gets up to go glean some more, he calls the young men over and he says, listen, you let her glean among the sheaves. And you be sure you drop a lot out of your baskets that you're not allowed to go back and pick up. Be sloppy. And Ruth just keeps working. She just keeps working and working and working until the evening. And when it's too dark to gather anything else, she beats out the barley she's gathered, which is the process of separating the husk from the grain. And it's an ephah of barley, somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. That is about two to three weeks worth of wages in a single day. It's what people gather in about two to three weeks. Carries it all home to Naomi, along with the leftovers from dinner. And so, of course, Naomi's like, what happened? How, who took notice of you? How is this real? Ruth says, well, there's this guy named Boaz. And Naomi, Naomi's like, I know that guy. He's a redeemer. He's part of our family. You stay close to that guy. You can almost see Naomi sort of starting to scheme maybe a little bit, right? Okay, what can we learn? Husbands, fathers, young men who would like to be husbands and fathers, young women who want to know what to look for in a husband, look to Boaz. Boaz is a man of high status. It's not the most important thing about Boaz, but it matters because Boaz was positioned to take care of Ruth and Naomi. It's what enables Boaz to put his godliness into place, into practice. He has wealth. He has respect. These are tools he uses to serve and to love and to care for the weak and the poor and the vulnerable. Some men of wealth and status use their wealth or use other people, right, to gain wealth and status. Boaz has gathered wealth and respect and honor, and he uses it. He spends it on the needy. It is honorable, it is honorable for men to be in positions of strength so that they can serve others. It's honorable to pursue that. More than that, though, Boaz respects and protects the weak and the vulnerable. He knows who Ruth is. 
He sees her in the fields. He knows she's vulnerable and he steps in. He's proactive. He surrounds her with young women who are safe. He goes to the young men. He makes sure they know they'd better not touch this woman. He makes sure she is safe on all sides. When's the last time she's felt safe? He treats her like family. He makes her safe. He makes her feel safe. He tells her he's seen her sacrifices. He's seen her suffering. And she feels seen and comforted. And he encourages her godliness. All of this Ruth does because she's fallen in love with the Lord of hosts. And he encourages that. I've seen what you've done. I've seen that you've taken refuge in the wings of the Almighty. The Almighty bless you. He he wastes no opportunity to make her feel rewarded by God for what she has done. He rewards her. God rewards her through him. Boaz is generous. He's a giver. Not everyone followed the gleaning laws, but Boaz did. And he rounded up by a lot. Generous men give generously all over the place. Time, effort, not just money. Service. Boaz was a generous man, and he was not a glory seeker. If he wanted to get glory for providing for Naomi, he could have blown a trumpet. He could have given a handout. He could have made sure everybody knew what he was doing. He didn't do that. He just made sure there was plenty for Ruth to take home. And he did not take that away from her the ability to work. He stood back and watched. She was there to work. He let her work as hard as she wanted to. He could have stopped at any point, but so could she. At what point, when you've got, you're up around 30, 40, 50 pounds, do you say, that's enough for the day? This is three weeks of food. In my first day, I don't need to kill myself. She didn't stop working. He didn't stop giving. They're both givers. Ruth has never stopped giving herself to Naomi. My life for yours. Ruth's life for Naomi's life. Unlike Boaz, Ruth is not wealthy. She has no status. But she was loyal and dedicated. She was sacrificial. She had guts. She was hardworking. And Boaz noticed. He saw everything. He knew how much she had sacrificed. He knew how much she had suffered. He had to watch close up as she submitted herself to all of the hard things God had put in her life with meekness and grace and gratitude. Whatever you want to say about Naomi, do you see any bitterness at all in Ruth and how she interacts with Boaz? Any sense of entitlement? Ruth thought of herself as a beggar and a widow. Her life was Naomi's. Boaz gets to see her worth in action and up close. He heard about leaving and following, and then he gets to see her in the fields. He interprets Ruth's character rightly. In light of everything God has done, she is as promised. How many men have fallen in love with their wives because they saw them working or serving? When Abraham sent his servant to look for a wife for Isaac, what was the thing that made Rebecca stand out? Do you know? She showed up. Rebecca came up, she drew from the well herself, and she offered to water the ser- or give the uh, Abraham's servant water and to water his camels. She's just a hard worker and a servant. 
That's how he knew. When Jacob first saw Rachel, what was she doing? She was shepherding the flocks of her father. And so Jacob was like, yo, she's going to need to water those flocks. And I'm pretty strong. Let me move aside this stone from the well and water the flocks. And that's a picture, a type of what Jesus did for us when the tomb was rolled away, or the stone of the tomb was rolled away, right? I fell in love with my wife on a missions trip to Juarez, Mexico. I was mixing concrete by hand. She was bringing over five-gallon buckets of sand and rock. She just worked hard, outworked everybody in a way that was clear that she was there to serve. I thought it was beautiful. Amanda and I are a very different love story uh, than Ruth and Boaz, though. Amanda and I grew up in the same neighborhood. We trick-or-treated like each other's houses as kids. Same socioeconomic brackets, rooted not only in the same Southern Baptist faith, but it uh, came from the same Southern Baptist church, went to the same schools. Bart and I played baseball together. The only cultural difference between our families is that they're UK fans, and that makes them Moabites. And <laughs> My family was Purdue fans, which maybe makes them the real Moabites. But, but even that's a point of connection for us, because we're rebels. We both went to IU, so... But Ruth and Boaz couldn't be more different, right? Externally, Boaz is a Jewish man of wealth and property and status, a man of high standing in the community. Ruth's a Moabite and a widow who lives in utter poverty. And by all indications, there's a significant age gap as well. Most people estimate the age gap to be about 20 plus years. Okay, so the equivalent for us today would be a different class or socioeconomic status, okay, plus a different race or ethnicity or nationality, okay, plus an age gap. These are all the external factors they have to overcome, okay? Can a marriage that cuts across all three of those lines work and be beautiful? Absolutely, without question. Will it be easy? No, no, but every marriage has its challenges. Externals do matter a little, right? But character is everything, Remember, God looks at the heart. Be like God. Look at the heart. Count the cost if there's a cost to be counted, but be sure you judge when you get married how God judges. Sometimes the externals line up really, really well, like me and Amanda. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the externals line up so well they get in the way of what actually matters and they blind you to character. They can help hide things. Maybe some of you have made a mistake and suffered for it. There's hope for you. Externals aren't nothing, but they're not essential. What's essential is that if you're a man, you're following Boaz's example. You're positioning yourself in life as best as you're able from whatever point you're starting from so you can protect and provide for a woman and a family. And if God allows the poor and the needy too, the orphan and the widow, and that you respect the weak and the vulnerable, instead of exploit the weak and the vulnerable, and that you cultivate generosity and humility, that you're a giver, and that for the vulnerable and for the needy and for your family, you are a safe person, which also means that you're dangerous to anybody who threatens them, right? And if you're a woman, you're loyal and sacrificial and courageous and hardworking like Ruth, giving of yourself for the good of others and entrusting yourself to God who protects you and provides for you. That's a lot, right? It's a lot. I know that Ruth is pushing us as a congregation. We're going deeper in God's word than uh, many of us have been. It's great. We're doing great. Three ways. 
We're reading these stories, this story, God's providence, how God works. In Ruth and Boaz, God's working all things for good, even the hardest things. Don't lose heart. Hold on to hope. Shelter in the wings of the Almighty. We've talked about the moral lessons. In David and Goliath terms, it's kill the giants. In our terms, it's be like Ruth, be like Boaz. Lastly is the type, the picture of Jesus and his church. See a picture of Jesus and Boaz, picture of the church and Ruth. Think about it, work on it, compare notes. We'll come back to all of this later. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Ruth and her faith and her courage. Thank you for Boaz and the example he is to all of us of a godly man. Thank you that you work through the difficult things of our life to bring beauty and glory and life. Help us, Father, we pray, to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.